0: the problems one of the the fears the greatest fears that even the reformers who went on like you know the john calvins of the world and um you know um martin luther and wesley the problems that even they feared was that if you let people just read the bible and say it means whatever they want it to mean you're going to end up with a lot of errant doctrines that just don't make a lot of sense Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, the way we are as people, if the person is charismatic enough and has a great enough personality or is funny enough or humorous enough or just, you know, just overall has that sort of, a lot of times an alpha male sort of mentality where guys want to follow them, women want to follow them. You know, in today's day and age, sometimes they're cute enough, if, you know, I mean, it's, it, it's just, you will have a group of people gather around a figure And you'll end up with a terrible doctrine because generally what happens is the person is being self-serving in some way or another. Honestly, the Baptists suffer from this tremendously. The independent Baptists do because basically anybody can be a Baptist. (laughs) You get upset with what they're preaching, go down the street and start your own Baptist church. That's how we got them. I mean, how do you think we got free will and regular and old regular and original and primitive? And, you know, all these are Baptist titles. They're all, you know, like, I laugh because I have a, I know a guy who who is a pastor at a, a primitive Baptist church, right? Primitive Baptist church established in 2006. I'm like, I don't know. Seems kind of recent to me but um anybody can be a baptist really i mean that's that's one of the few things that's the reason why you have people group into clusters like even the southern baptists one of the reasons why they group together is so they can kind of help keep doctrines similar so that you don't have just a bunch of people saying a bunch of random stuff The reason why that's a big deal is because usually when people are just saying things, they're just saying things off a whim. And especially because if you read something in the Bible and you don't put it in a context of the Bible, or you don't compare it to the entirety of the Bible, you can get a really bad concept. Because the Bible is snapshots in time. It's, okay, we're getting ready to talk about the disciples on Pentecost, We're talking, it was probably somewhere in the area of the late May, somewhere around 30 AD. And we're going to talk about what they did for a day in a few, in a chapter. And then we're going to jump forward three years and talk about a day or two. And then jump forward 14 years and talk about an hour. And then jump forward 10 more years, and talk about, you know, a conversation somebody had. Well, if you don't stop and think about that each time there's a context to what's going on. What was going on at the time in 30 AD? Well, if we go back and we look at when Jesus was crucified, you have the political leaders. They're fearing for the fact that maybe there's going to be a revolt. So there's a very heavy Roman presence in the place. Pentecost, also known as Shavuot in the, in the Hebrew, is one of the most well-attended feasts there are. Everybody shows up to Shavuot. And it's just like, so people come from every stretch, everywhere. Just, they just converge on one place. So you're talking a city that is a decent-sized city that suddenly has a couple million people showing up throughout the course of a week, coming and going. So it's... It's, it's crazy. It's busy. It's, it's metropolitan. It's all these different people and all these different languages and all this different stuff happening. But then later on, when you're talking about another person, he's sitting in a Greek town talking to a Greek Jew about certain things. So what he says is going to reflect what a Greek Jew thinks when living in a Greek town. <laughs> it's not necessarily going to reflect what a person who's speaking to somebody from Spain is talking about. Because the person talking to somebody from Spain might be just using a very basic, very simplified version. So if you take that and you put it by itself and say, well, this is a whole doctrine unto itself, you're going to end up with crazy doctrines that don't make sense. The issue that I'm addressing is tongues. The problem we have is that the word tongues is if you if you know anything about the word in Greek is glossa. Anybody, tell me what you think that sounds like. What does glossa sound like? A glossary. What's a glossary? It's a collection of words. Why is it called a glossary? Because it's a collection of things that fall off the tongue. That's how the language works. So we have in the Bible a situation where we're going to be talking about tongues. Tongues refer to language. The way a person speaks. The fact that their mouth is moving in words and sound is coming out. There are two distinct types of tongues we're going to address here today. And one is what a lot of people like to refer to as heavenly tongues, or a prayer language, in essence. And even people within Baptists will say, you can speak in this prayer language, that it's essentially like just a language you and God speak in. I have studied it, read it. It does sound like Paul references the fact that you can pray in this heavenly language that is you and God. It's just just direct you and God. Nobody else is listening. The angels don't know what you're saying. People don't know what you're saying. It's you and God. But it's not a sign. It's not something you do in front of people. It's something you and God do. So there is no interpreter. Somebody say, well, you can't do a thing unless there's an interpreter. Well, there's an interpreter. No. I hate to break it to you. It's a heavenly prayer language between you and God. There's no interpreter. It's you and God. So it's not for the people. So why would there be an interpreter? There isn't. If you pray, and not everybody has this ability. I know people who will swear to you on a Bible. In the court of law, they have spoken in the heavenly prayer language with God. I believe them. I believe them. They have no reason to lie about this. They weren't doing it because it was fashionable. They weren't doing it in the middle of a sermon. They weren't running around screaming and acting stupid. They were praying, and they didn't know what to pray. They didn't know what to say. They just felt this pain inside, and they didn't know why it was there. But they were just—and they were were going through stuff in their life with their children and with things that were happening— And they just, they felt like they had to pray, like they wanted to pray, but they had no words to pray with. They didn't know what to say. What do you say to God sometimes? When everything's going crazy, what do you say? Well, God, help me with this. Well, you kind of say that with everything. You say, well, help me get this church on time. Help me get the, we do that all the time. Sometimes it's such a deep-seated hurt that there's no words to describe it. And in that case, The Bible says the Holy Spirit gives us utterance to say the things which we cannot say. Well, you can't speak them. So the Holy Spirit comes into you and works within you to bring out this and communicate it to God. That way you get a feeling of satisfaction of knowing that you are communicating with God. It's a different concept than what we're going to discuss today. That is one of those things. And it's sad because you have entire denominations built around the concept that you're not fully saved until you've spoken in tongues. Or you're not this until you... Or the fullness of the Spirit isn't on you until you can speak in tongues. I'm going to say it as nicely as I can. That's a load of crap. It's, it's... They are selling you a bill of goods because it makes them feel good. And so they make it as though it's doctrine. I hate to break it to you. Doctrine usually doesn't feel good. When... the Most doctrines in the Bible, when you read them, you usually kind of go, okay, that's what you're doing. Hell. You feel good about hell? Doctrine of hell? Well, I'm not going there. Yeah, but your neighbor is. Feel good about that? No. I don't, I don't wish anybody go to hell. My people I don't like, I don't. I hope they don't go to hell. That's not a good doctrine. <laughs> that is a tough doctrine. Mm-hmm. That is a hard doctrine. If I you let my emotions get a hold of me, I would say, oh, well, you know, hell. Everybody probably gets to heavy news not What it says, that's just not what it says. We can't allow ourselves to let our emotions dictate right. what we claim the scripture says. Yeah. Does it feel good to to, to you know sing and just get, get loud? And yeah, you get it out. There's a reason why sometimes going outside and screaming in the backyard feels good, it, it, you get. You get air in your lungs. Your brain opens up and you're going to get extra oxygen in. Uh You get things out. It feels great. But that's not, just because that feels good doesn't mean that's a doctrine. That's a person's, that's what somebody wants to do. That's what makes you feel good. There's a different church for every type of feeling. Sometimes I feel like I want to, you know what, I just want (laughs) to feel holy. Like really holy. I go on, Wednesday, on Saturdays sometimes and go to the Catholic Church and sit in for a Mass. Because no place will you feel more like there is just this reverence for God, a true reverence of His holiness, than in a Catholic Church. Because everything is based around God. Every line in the Scripture and everything they say is based around having a fear of God. I want to go sometimes and get it all out. I'll go down to one of the churches that has a praise band and scream it out with them. It feels good. There's different types, there's different things. None of that has anything to do with doctrine. None of that has anything to do with the gospel. None of that has anything to do with getting saved. It's a feeling. It's a feeling. So we have a situation here, and I'm going to be right plain. The reason why your Pentecostals or your Apostolic or your Assemblies of God is who it is, Church of Christ and all, the reason why they do say what they say is because, let's turn real quick to John 20, the book of John in 20, chapter, chapter. We're going to start in the 19th verse. It says, Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and said unto them, Peace be unto you. And when he had said so, he showed them unto them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Then Jesus said to them again, Peace be unto you. As my Father has sent me, even so I send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Whosoever sins you remit, they are remitted unto them. And whosoever sins you retain, they are retained. Okay. Let's flip a couple of pages to the right. Go to the book of Acts in the second chapter. First verse says, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, there were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven, as a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting, and there appeared unto them cloven tongues, which as like as like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them, and they were filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Okay, when did the Holy Spirit go into them? When did they have the Holy Spirit? It's tough, isn't it? It's very tough, isn't it? Because we just read in John 20 where he said, receive the Holy Spirit. And then we just read here where they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Therefore, Pentecostal, apostolic, whoever says, in 20, they were saved. In Acts 2, they got the fullness of the Spirit. Eh? Eh? That's a pretty good, good way to fit the two things together, isn't it? Here's the problem. Well I agree that they were saved the entire time because they believed in Christ, and that's what salvation is. In John 20, let's read again, go back, have you guys flip around a little bit. And he says, in starting in 21, then Jesus said to them again, peace be unto you. As my Father hath sent me, even so I send you. This is about sending the apostles to the world. As Christ sent him to the world to be the proclaimer of the good news, to be the one who is the Messiah. Christ is now sending the what, who were disciples. He's making them apostles. Apostle means to be sent out. So he's making them apostles and sending them out. And therefore, that concept of receive ye the Holy Spirit, where he breathes on them and says, receive ye the Holy Spirit, he's talking in a sense that what you're going to do from this day forward, is be apostles. You are going to be the one who carries the message, the spirit, in a sense, to the people. And therefore, it's more of a... I don't want to say that it's a, an analogy, because he is breathing on them and he's doing what he's saying, but it is the sending of the apostles. Because we have, in several places where, where Jesus was, he tells the people many times that, you know, when he's down there, he says that, you know, where I'm going, you can't go. But don't worry, I'm sending a comforter. Now, he doesn't say, don't worry, I'm sending salvation, don't worry, I'm sending. He says a comforter. Salvation is in the belief in Christ. But it wasn't until the day of Pentecost that the Holy Spirit came down and filled people. They filled them up. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit could come upon a person. It says the Holy Spirit came and dwelt upon David. And he did certain things. The Holy Spirit came and dwelt upon Saul and he did certain things. It came and dwelt upon Solomon, and he did various things. The difference is, it comes upon you to enable you to do something that you couldn't do unto yourself. The difference is, Pentecost is the first time that at which the Holy Spirit Spirit came in you, came within you, to now create a situation where God, Christ literally lives and works from within you out to make a permanent dwelling. And there's a reason for this, and it has to do with the fact that this is Pentecost, known as Shavuot, also known as the Feast of First Fruits. So Leviticus 23, 9 to 14. Saying that, making sure that she can write it down. (laughs) Leviticus 23, 9 to 13. Let's jump back real fast. Again, this is expanded a little bit because of all the speaking that we did earlier. I originally wasn't going to go this deep into it, but I started it. I opened up a can of worms, so I got to finish it. So, Leviticus 23, very beginning of the Bibles. In verse 9, and it says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, When ye be come into the land which I give unto you, and shall reap the harvest thereof, then ye shall bring a sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest unto the priest. And he shall wave the sheaf before the Lord, to be accepted for you on the morrow after the Sabbath. The priest shall wave it. So it's the first day of the week. And ye shall offer that day when ye wave the sheaf a lamb, a he-lamb, male lamb, without blemish of the first year for a burnt offering unto the Lord. And the meat offering thereof shall be two-tenths deals of fine flour mingled with oil, an offering made by fire unto the Lord for a sweet savor. And the drink offering thereof shall be of wine and a fourth part of a hen, and ye shall eat neither bread, nor parched corn, nor green ears, until the self same day that ye have brought an offering unto the Lord. It shall be a statute for you forever throughout your generations and all your dwellings. So this is the first fruit. What happens here, if we go further, you would see before, you would see that when they go in, you have your first you have the first feast of the year, which is Passover. Well, what is Passover? Passover is the beginning of the harvest, uh, of the the planting season. You plant the stuff in the ground. You put it in the ground. Basically, Israel has three seasons. They have a hot, dry season. They have a cool season. And they have a winter, what, what they call winter slash rainy season. So... Basically, it rains from November through March. The ground gets all wet. They throw the seeds down. They throw all the stuff down. And it's so wet that you're going to have that first crop pop up. And God says, I want the first. The very first sheath that you pull out, the very first whatever, however you want to cut that up. You pull up. That goes to the priests. to so feed the priests is really what it's for. But that's your first fruit. That's the first Thing off. Off the top, it goes right to God. And then you take everything after that, live on it, sell it, do what you're gonna do. That's the first fruits. So what we're about to read here in Acts chapter 2 is Pentecost. It's shavuot. It's the first fruits. First fruits of what? Of the church, of the apostles. So this is that first fruit being sent down and being being gathered for God. What did God say? Jesus said, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So this is going to be that first time where we have the workers are going to go out, the apostles, and they're going to get that first fruit, that first portion that's going to come. So in Acts 2, starting in, well, we'll start in the first verse, and we'll go through. It says, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like a fire, and it sat upon each of them, and they were filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak of other tongues, which, as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. Now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying, One to another, behold, are not all these that speak Gal- Galilean, I meaning they should have been speaking Aramaic, yet they were hearing them in their own language? And how hear we every man in our tongue wherein we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and the dwellers of Mesopotamia and in Judea and Cappadocia and in Pontus and Asia and Phry- Phrygia and Pamphylia and Egypt. And in the parts of Libya, about Cyrene, and strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretes or Cretans, Arab- Arabians, we do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. And they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, What means this? Others mocking said, These men are full of new wine. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea, and all ye that dwell in Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken unto my words. For these are not drunken, as ye suppose, seeing that it is just the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken of the prophet Joel. Y sera en los pastores dios diestros tan perdedores expertos serutara con e vestu hijos el verdadero hero prospinta y vastros joven veres fatigos y vastros viejos señores signos. And there you have it. Amen. Let's go home. <laughs> Who did that help? Who did that help? Everyone understood what I was saying, right? I was speaking Spanish. Okay. How does being filled with the Holy Ghost help if you're speaking in a language the people don't understand? It doesn't. Now, here's the thing. We know what languages that were being heard. We just went over it. <laughs> there were people from Panthea and Medes. That means they were speaking um, 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 uh, Persian. The Elamites, they spoke Elamite. The dwellers of Mesopotamia, meaning they probably spoke some form of, of like an, even an, an Aramaic, or maybe even, um, uh, I can't, I've never can think of the name of that. The language. But either way, we see the people of Libya and Cyrene, they spoke Greek. The Egyptians, Romans, spoke Latin. There were proselytes, meaning their people weren't even Jewish. It's just other languages, other places. We see there are people from Crete, again, Arabians. They all hear in our tongues the wonderful works of God. Yeah. That's what the speaking in tongues was. And that's the supernatural aspect of it. I actually have a story that I... have never met the person personally, but through a friend, their church actually hosts a... they, They pay for a missionary to India. The first time he ever went to India... This man speaks a lot of languages, but he speaks English, Spanish, and I believe he speaks Hindi. The thing is, is in India they have more than one language. Hindi is just what they speak in like the southern, western, southwestern part. And the north part they speak like a I can't think of the actual name, but it's like a Punjabi, is what it's referred to as. That's a that's a province. They have their own. The Punjabi Indians—you can go look them up. That's the same. They have a similar language to um, Farsi because they—they—that's they, what Pakistan, Pakistan is our Punjabi as well. You have the people in the south on the western corner. They're Bengal. They speak Bengalese. You have people also there that are called Rohingya. They speak Rohingya. <laughs> there are different languages in India. Now, the thing is, is believe it or not, these people, this is going to shock people, are religious nuts that kill each other for not believing the same thing. And one of the ways they can determine who this person, that person is going to be, is what language they're speaking. They hear a person, you're up in the Punjabi area, and they say, they hear a person speaking Hindi, probably one of those Hindus down there. We don't want them coming up here and changing us from Muslim to Hindu. Let's kill them. You go down into the southern part and you hear somebody spook- speaking Punjabi or Rohingya. Oh, that's probably those that the Rohingya. They're, 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 those that's probably those you know, those crazy Buddhists and stuff like that. They're going to try and convert us from Hindu to B- Buddhism. Let's kill them. They, they're fighting amongst each other. The Hindus are killing the Buddhists. The Hindus are killing the Muslims. The Muslims are killing the Buddhists. The, 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 Buddhists are killing people. I, I heard there were militant Buddhists killing Hindus. And I'm like, the whole purpose of Buddhism is to be perfectly in the center. How can you get angry enough to kill somebody? You're supposed to like not even smack a fly. People, we kill each other. So, fast forward, he's over there for his first trip to India. They sent him to an area, he knows all, this, all these languages, they sent him to this area where he doesn't speak the language. So he has an interpreter with him. The interpreter, is, he's, they're, they're, their car broke down, they were dealing with stuff, the interpreter goes to try and get the car fixed. He's standing there, these two men walk up to him carrying AK-47s. And they start talking to him and he's first panicking and then he starts talking to him and he just tells him what are you doing here? Oh, I'm just, you know, here to help some people at the villa at the orphanage. That's what he was there for to help at the orphanage. Oh, really? This and that. He talked to him and told him, you know, say he was honest with him. Yeah, I'm just here to are you, are you are you they asked him, you know, the local religion. He said, "Nope. No, I am from America and I'm a Christian and uh, they talked, went back and forth. The whole time, the interpreter had come back and saw and hid behind a mailbox and was watching them talk. The guys finally decided, okay, you know what? You're helping the kids. We're going to let you go. But listen, we don't want you passing out Bibles. If we see you doing anything, we're going we're gonna to shoot you on the spot. But go do what you're doing. And they left. The guy walks up to him and goes, interpreter goes, why do you have me? You told me you didn't speak. Bengali and he goes, I don't speak Bengali." And he goes, "Well what were you doing? He goes, I was speaking English those people were shocked me because they spoke perfect English And he goes, "No, I was standing here. I speak English, I speak Bengali and Hindi I you were speaking in Bengali. I heard it <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> wow. wow And he came back astonished at this. He had no idea what was going on. He had no. I believe with everything inside of me, he's telling the truth. And that the Holy Spirit had, a, he was doing something that needed to be done. Yeah. And the Holy Spirit worked in him yeah. a miracle. Yeah. Why does a miracle happen in India that we don't necessarily see here in America? Because they need it there. nobody's walking up to you on the street and putting an AK-47 to your head saying, are you a Christian? Here in America. Mm -hmm. But they're doing that over in India. So where's the Holy Spirit working like crazy? You know, over in India. Working. Doing miracles. I believe 100% he's telling the truth that happened. You know why? Because it fits perfectly with the Bible. What tongues were they speaking when they spoke of other tongues? They were speaking their language, mm-hmm. and the people heard it in their other language. That conforms to what? And guess what? The person doing it had no idea it was happening. He didn't start going off and railing. and doing it. He had no idea it was happening. He was just a vessel that... God was using Amen. at that moment. Amen. It's sad because that's what we're talking about here. And it's... <sighs> so many people get turned off from religion because, you know, there are kids right now who are 20-something years old who are going to quit church and not ever come back. You know why? Because they're sitting there faking saying Tongues because that's what they have to do or else they're not fully accepted in with a group or they're always being told their parents, oh, there's something wrong with your son. He's not talking like the rest of us. They will be shut off from the gospel and never come back. Why? Because of some ridiculous doctrine of babbling in tongues Amen. in church. Amen. I, <laughs> I got in trouble one time and I've said this to Mike and Patsy before. I got in trouble one time because I was at a place and everybody started like going off. So I, and I started repeating. I should have bought a Honda, I should have bought a Honda, I bought a Toyota but I should have bought a Honda, I bought a Toyota I should have bought a Honda, I bought a Toyota but I should have bought a Honda. <laughs> 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 Not a single person knew I wasn't whole wrapped up in the spirit. They were like holding my hands and patting me on the back. You got it. Not a single person knew what I was saying. And they didn't care. That's right. And I was speaking English. It's it's unbelievable. It's I was I told my friend, he goes, What are you doing? I told him start saying repeating Bob bought a black Cadillac, and he goes, "What?" I say, "Real fast." Bob bought a black Cadillac. Bob bought a Cadillac. Bob bought a black Cadillac. Bob bought a black Cadillac. <laughs> 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 that's, that's the way it is. That's the way it is. And it's sad. I mean, it's funny because it's kind of funny. I know a pastor that he calls Kenneth Hopeland, the Baba the Baba Black Sheep Preacher. Because that's what his son thought Ken- he was watching Kenneth Copeland. That's what he thought Kenneth Copeland was saying. He was going, Baba black sheep, Baba black sheep. The kid started repeating it. Thought that's what Kenneth Copeland was doing on on TV. Baba black sheep, baba black sheep. <laughs> the problem is, I believe these people are sincere in their that's right. desire. That's right. Amen. Sure. But a desire-focused... In the wrong direction is still the wrong direction. I believe. I am not. There's what's called cessationism, meaning that, oh, there were these gifts in the Bible, but they're gone now. I don't believe that because it doesn't say it. John MacArthur will sit out there and say, oh, there's, and he'll he'll go through these chapters and he'll say, this is why. And it doesn't say that. It doesn't say that this because, okay, Paul will say, well, this gift was given as a sign. To the Jews. so see it was given to the sign of the Jews, and so we don't have it anymore. I'm like they're still Jews. <laughs> like the Jews just disappeared? What like what are we doing here? If it was given to impress the Jews, then why aren't we using it? Well, we don't have it anymore. Where does it say that? Well it said it was given for the Jews. We still have Jews. <laughs> that doesn't conform with the Bible. I believe every one of these things are legitimate. I believe there are prophets walking around that they are telling people the future. They're saying, get saved because the end is coming. And they're right. They're 100% right. But they're looked at as crazy because they're lumped in with the same group of people. They're saying, pop up black sheep. Because people are making something that's ridiculous as if it's a doctrine. And it's not. Let's flip to 1 Corinthians in the 14th. Verse, First Corinthians in the fourteenth verse. By the way, if you ever want to read that sermon that Paul gives in second, in second, in uh, second chapter of Acts, whew, amazing. Um, that's the gospel right there. If you if you can learn to repeat that to somebody, that'll get people saved, right there. But First Corinthians, fourteenth chapter. I'm gonna start right at the beginning. Remembering that this comes right after the 13th chapter, which is the love chapter. I'm not loving everybody. So this follows right after that. 14th chapter says, follow after charity and desire spiritual gifts, but rather that ye may prophesy. Mm-hmm. Prophesy and preaching is the same thing. For he that speaks in an unknown tongue speaks not unto men, but unto God. For no man understands him. Howbeit in the spirit he speaks mysteries. So if you're speaking something nobody around you understands, you're having a conversation with God, or you're saying nothing. That's what I said earlier, wasn't it? Why? That's what the Bible says. 3 says, But he that prophesies speaks unto men to edification and exhortation and comfort. He that speaks in an unknown tongue edifies himself. But he that prophesies edifies the church. I would that ye all speak with tongues, but rather that ye prophesied. Paul is sitting here saying, I wish all of you guys could speak in tongues. I wish all of you guys can do that. But you know what I wish more? I wish every one of you were preaching the gospel. I wish every one of you were preaching the gospel. Forget tongues. Preach the gospel. For greater is he that prophesies than he that speaks with tongues. Except he interpret that the church may receive Edification. Now, brethren, if I come unto you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you? Except I shall speak to you either by revelation or by knowledge or by prophecy or by doctrine. So he's saying, if I'm speaking in tongues and then I can turn around and say, well, this is what that means. Great. Great. Otherwise, I might as well keep my mouth shut. The seventh verse. And even things without life giving sound, whether a pipe or a harp, except they give a distinction in the sounds, how shall it be known what is piped or harped? For if the trumpet gives an uncertain sound, who shall prepare himself for the battle? So likewise, ye accept, ye utter by the tongue words easily to be understood how shall it be known what is spoken, for ye shall speak into the air. There there are, it may be, so many voices, kinds of voices in the world, and none of them is without signific- signification. Therefore, I know, if I know not, the meaning of the voice, I shall be unto him that speaks a barbarian, and he that speaks shall be a barbarian unto me. Now see what he's doing here is Paul is changing the concept now. Now he's not just talking about heavenly. He's saying if you're in a church and you're speaking a language that people don't speak, then that makes no sense either. He's saying a barbarian. Barbarians get their name. You know what? A barbarian was what the Romans referred to the people in the north. Because when they spoke, it sounded like they were saying, Barble, 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 barble. So they said they're barbarians. Eventually, barbarian came to be known as bearded one. Because everyone in the North had beards. Guess what? That's why we have the word barber today. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. But that's what Paul is saying. Listen, you're like a barbarian. You might as well just be... Honestly, first time you ever walked into a church where people are hanging from the chandeliers and being crazy... <laughs> Were you comforted? <laughs> or did you look around and say, the people are uh, a little off their rocker? <laughs> <laughs> There's a barbarian. What's that help? What's that help the church? What's that help you? What's that help people who aren't saved? 12. Even so, ye, for as much as ye are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek that ye may excel to the edification of the church. Yeah. You might want the gift. Oh, I wish I, could. I wish I could speak in tongues. But you know what? I can preach the word of God. And that's, Paul just said, great, want gifts. I would prefer you preach. He's boasting. saying, I prefer you have no gifts. And just read the word of God. Say the words of God. What's a gift if it's not helping? Thirteen. Wherefore let him that speaks in an unknown tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in an unknown tongue my spirit prayeth but my understanding is unfruitful. What is it then? I will pray in the spirit and I will pray with the understanding also. I will sing in the with the spirit and I will sing with the understanding also. Else when thou shalt bless with the spirit, how shall he that occupies the room of the unlearned say amen at thy giving of thanks, seeing he understands not what you're saying? And he's saying if people who don't, you don't even need to speak to where people can't understand what you're saying. Speak so that it's simple, so people know. Be edifying to yeah. the church. Yeah. How do you know? You know, how, how do you know? 17, for though verily give us thanks well, but the other is not edified. I think my God, What well, listen to this, I love this. I think my God, I speak with tongues more than y'all. Paul speaks, he's like, I thank God I could speak more tongues than all of you. Now, first of all, that's actually true in, in the sense that Paul spoke probably a lot of languages. He was brilliant. We know he spoke Latin and Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic at the very least. He probably spoke a lot more than that. But I just love that line. I think, my God, I speak with tongues more than all of y'all. Think about that. He probably, obviously, he, Paul is from the South. Yeah. <laughs> 19. Yet in the church I had rather speak five words with my understanding, that by my voice I might teach others also, than a thousand words in an unknown tongue. Yeah. Brethren, be not children in understanding, howbeit in malice ye be children, but in understanding be men. For in the law it is written, With men of other tongues and other lips will I speak unto this people, and yet for all that will they not hear me, saith the Lord. Wherefore tongues are for a sign, not to them that believe, but to them that believe not. But prophesying serves not for them that believe not, but for them which believe. So, where are tongues to be spoken? Not in the church. You're supposed to speak clear words in the church. The tongues are for a sign for people who what? For like that. For people who don't know. For people who are spoken. So again, the whole concept well, tongue tongues gone away. But we still have people who don't understand. I would say the tongues are still here. But what do they do? What do they do? It made it so that people from... 20, 30 different places, speaking 20, 30 different languages, all understood the same gospel. The same gospel. Paul says, I would rather speak five words than 10,000 in a language and nobody speaks. Why? Because then he's being useless. He's being useless. Nothing bothers me more about the church than when we act useless. The church has so much potential, so much ability. We have so many talented people. We have so much. We have the Holy Spirit, so we have everything we need. And yet we act useless. Why? Because we're worried about ourselves. We're worried about fitting in. We're worried about that if we don't speak in some gibberish, that we're not going to be accepted at the church. You know what? If that's what it's all about, then I have news for you. Check your salvation. Check it because that's not what it's about. If the trumpet makes a noise, nobody knows what it is, how do we prepare for war? We are in a spiritual war with Satan. And if nobody can understand what's being said, how do we prepare ourselves? We need to be useful Amen. to the kingdom. Amen. Be useful. Amen. When you're going to do something, you might be getting ready to do something and you think it's great. Is it useful? It might be the most amazing thing that anybody's ever seen. Is it useful? Because yeah. if not, there's a better thing you can be doing with your time. Yeah. Reading the Bible, is it useful? You better believe it. So yeah. There's nothing. very little you could do better With your time and read. Speaking the gospel to somebody who doesn't know, that's useful. Speaking in tongues is useless if nobody understands. Do you go into your room and speak to God in an unknown tongue? Then that's useful. Then that's useful, but use it that way. Don't be useless. To God. A worthless vessel. Paul literally says in two separate places, in Romans and in 2 Corinthians, that he hopes that he does not become reprobate to Christ, meaning he does not become useless. He prays that he stays in the faith and does the right things for the right reasons so that he doesn't become a pot used for common good, Instead, he gets used for a holy purpose. Because if you're not being used for the holy, then you're being used for the common. And what good is the common? Nothing. It's worthless. Let's not be worthless. The misunderstanding of tongues is that it is for you and God to speak. It is for you to speak when the Holy Spirit gives you utterance when you cannot speak. It is a gift that we have in the church today, and it is not to be used during congregational meetings. Mm -hmm. It's not supposed to be used for that. Anybody argues this, 1 Corinthians 14. Bring it up to them, because that is the ultimate. And not a single verse. Read the whole chapter. Paul is beating them over the head with this. Man. He's he goes to the point of bragging. Paul's not a bragging person. And yet he says, "I speak with more tongues than all of you." Mm-hmm. Yeah. But guess what? If he's useless, then he's more he's worthless to God. So what? What's the point? It's there's no point. There's no point if it's not working. For the glory of God. So, I'm charging us today on Pentecost. The day of first fruits. What happened on Pentecost? 5,000 people got saved. And how many Christians are there in the world today? Well, if you believe what the census says, there's 1.7 billion. Even if half of them are saved, there's close to a billion. We are working towards telling the Gospel to every last person on this planet. That's why we have missionaries. That's why we have satellite television. I believe with everything inside of me, God said let there be satellites because that's how we get the word across. Everything that has evil intention can be used for a godly purpose. Let's not be useless.